to Quarentia in Conversation. Q Conversations offer the chance for me, Mark Mennell, to sit down and chat with a range of fascinating people about the things that matter to them most. Ruth Naomi Floyd is a remarkable person. Jazz singer, portrait photographer, HIV AIDS worker, teacher, all-round inspiration. Having met when we were both on a conference in Hungary a couple of years ago, we had the chance to meet up last week while I was passing through her hometown of Philadelphia. We initially hoped to record this in a small cafe, only to find the owner shutting up shop just as we were getting around to actually recording something. So we went round the corner and talked in 10th Presbyterian Church, which explains the acoustic and the odd interruptions. But first, here's just a little taste of her music making. Thank you very much for your time. It's great to meet you here in Philadelphia. And um, you seem to me to be someone who juggles all kinds of different things. Mm. And this gives you a complicated but very exciting life. Is that, is that true? It's absolutely true. I love life. I'm so grateful for life and the many things I'm able to do. And so. you're Philly born and bred? Born and bred. And what, what is it about this city? Because I love coming here, but what is it about Philadelphia that's such a great place? You know, I think um, the history of Philadelphia really started like with a blue-collar town, hard workers, um, you know, um, and, and all those different segregated um, um, areas of the city, um, there was a a worth ethic that was really powerful. And um, I've seen a shift since 9-11, where I think before then, we were kind of intimidated, we were insecure, kind of like the little, you know, Philadelphia in, you know, in in New York or the Big Apple shadow. And since 9-11, I think we've kind of, you know, uh, stood taller and- um, Why do you think that is? You know, to be honest, a lot of amazing creative people left New York, and a fair amount came to Philadelphia. Artists, musicians, uh, chefs. um, There are a lot of good restaurants here. Yeah, (laughs) and so there was this influx, from my point of view at least, of this creativity, of this artistry, and we started saying we can compete with New York, and we can compete. Um, And so I think we've... We have, I've seen a shift in spirit, but I also think it, it really was with um, Mayor Rendell who kind of said, look, Philly, you're good, you can do this, mm-hmm. and started cleaning was up the city. Was that the 70s? That was the... 80s. 90s, 90s really. Okay. With, and Yeah, with... Because things went through pretty bad, yeah, back, didn't they? Yeah, it was, yeah. And so he was, you know, his, his 
honorary title was America's Mayor. Right. And he was able to get a lot of funding, and we cleaned up our streets. It used to be called Philadelphia. Right. And now it's clean, and we've, we've brought business, and there's more things to do. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, there was one restaurant that stayed open late, one place where you could hear music. Right. You know, and during the week, it was all shut down. Now we have the Kemmel Center, world yeah. class. We have um, still the Academy of Music. We have um, theaters. We have yeah. restaurants. And so I think it really is due to Rendell. Huh. And, um, and also, you know, just unfortunately, uh, the people coming to Philadelphia um, leaving New York after yeah. 9-11. So as a creative person, do you find that you're stimulated in different ways and from being here? I mean, other people around, or how does it... Yeah, it's a small town in some ways, and it's a big town. Um, but if you're involved in creativity and artistry, you pretty much know, um, definitely the shakers and the movers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely, I would say, looking back, certainly during my early 20s, I think I would have left if I didn't see that shift. Right. I mean, I was, the proof is in the pudding. I was going to New York every other the village every other week to perform. again to learn to go to galleries to learn to sit to go to jazz clubs this is really early so I wasn't performing as much I was still just so were you things. torn between photography and singing at that point or was... no I've never been torn in the sense of I knew I was always going to do both yeah, right. music was more public but I always did photography. It's actually what my degrees are, okay. believe it or not. And so I always did it. Um, people would say on the side or as a serious hobby, but no, it was something that I just personally did. Maybe had one or two quiet shows a year, but was always creating, always seeing, always searching, always, always looking. Um, and music was more kind of in the front, in the public, but mm. I did both. So I would go up to New York to hear, oh man, the jazz then was incredible jazz shows, classical shows, and then also to go to the galleries and to mm. see all sorts of, of art, um, regardless of medium. Mm. So there wasn't that much here then. Now there's not as much as a need to do that. I mean, I still enjoy mm. going to New York and go quite often, but so there's good jazz stuff clubs, here yeah. to hear. Well, <laughs> there was, I would say, you know, in the 90s and in the early um, 2000s, it, it definitely was several. Now there's, it's down to uh, a few. I think part of it is, is that there's so much business in this city that people don't want to necessarily hear straight ahead organic jazz. They want kind of smooth jazz. So businessmen come in, go to dinner, say, let's go to a jazz club, but they don't want music right. that is, they want backdrop, they, they want, want ambiance. Yeah, music. And so a lot of the restaurants where you could go hear great, and I'm talking about pure jazz, straight ahead jazz, um, jazz with a swing um, and a rhythm, yeah. bass and drum, and, and amazing improv, uh, improvisers. Um, it was, the music was too, quote-unquote, jarring or too in-your-face, and so the clubs went where the dollars went, yeah. which is more laid-back and, um, you know, kind of more easy 101 elevator jazz kind of thing. And so there's only a few places in town um, mm. that you can hear that, and it's only on certain nights. So is that one reason why you have to travel a lot, or were you doing that anyway to sing? I was doing that anyway. I mean, I, my, my favorite place to sing um, is really abroad. It's, it's really sad in some ways. They may, 
not have the full um, understanding and knowledge of the history of African-American music, of jazz, of the spirituals. But there's a sense, um, certainly when I started traveling, particularly in Europe in the, in the early 90s, I was shocked. The difference was when I, I sang in America, it was like, well, how are you going to entertain us? Are you going to hit that high note? Are you going to do those vocal runs? Are you going to touch us in a way that um, entertains us? Mm. I never forget my first concert abroad was in France, and I was stunned. There was a sense of, Ruth, what are you going to create tonight? Mm. What are you going to share with us? rather than yeah. testing. And so that was wonderful. Because the jazz scene in France is huge, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And their knowledge of it is, mm. and their their requirements is high. You know, okay. you don't come in half-stepping. Right. And so they know their history. They have experienced great, great jazz musicians, and they expect more. Mm. And it's less about entry. I think that's um, becoming less and less, unfortunately. But um, that was a big difference. So I loved, I loved, love, love singing abroad more so than mm. And in the UK, abroad. have you picked up sort of what the scene is like these days in the UK? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If you I think wouldn't I mean. presume. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, I mean, I've been going to the UK in the past five years more so than, than France and other parts of Europe. Well, maybe... Well, yeah, more than France, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. And um, they're definitely more interested into the kind of the intellectual approach of it. So they're interested more in the process, definitely more interested in the history. They definitely would want more like a lecture concert, tell us about the history mm -hmm. of this music, and then show us, mm -hmm. more so than just a concert. So I enjoy that, too. Do you find that stimulating? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, this music has such a rich history, and mm -hmm. it's utterly and completely... American um, at a high cost um, culturally so right. and historically so I love sharing that music and it's one of the root it's jazz is derived derived from the african-american spirituals and that is the root of almost all American music yeah all rock music yeah isn't it? and so I love sharing that it's you know I um, I love you know a quote um, this music that you have despised, that you have discarded, um, is the music that has flowered again. Hmm. And, um, you know, a, a great composer said, you know, instead of um, imitating European classical music, why don't you embrace the music? That's here, and I'm paraphrasing, but mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the cuts of it is like, you have this great music here, why not use it, hmm. you know? So it's not just a cultural artifact yeah but it's about a cultural identity isn't it absolutely mm. and you know i just think you know people start with the blues and i love the blues i'm not afraid of the blues mm -hmm. i think when we look through the, the different lenses um of our lives on this path we call life life comes with blues mm. And so I never well, run away Bono from it. Who said it. that David was the first blues singer yeah. in the Psalms? Right. <laughs> I got to get Bono in there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and one of the the, the 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 greatest blues singers is 
Job, why mm. was I thrust from my mother's womb? You know, mm. you know, curse the day I was born. You, you, you know, that's pretty blues. Yeah. And yet that brother had the blues. I mean, yeah. look what, you know. But then you look at the Bible and you, you see the greatest blues line, period, sacred, secular, if you want to divide those lines or yeah. whatever, is my God, my God, why hast yeah. thou forsaken me? I mean, in this moment of an amazing, terrific, costly gift, he is, his father turns away and he says, why hast thou forsaken me? But I would say in some ways what preceded that really is where God, uh, where Jesus really shows us his transparent and really shows us the blues, mm. is in the garden. Mm. Mm. If this cup could pass. Mm. I love Mark that he asked. Mm. He knew the answer. Mm. And so the questions of why we as Christians can, of course we know what God said, where were you? Mm. You know, and I, we understand that and we But there's a catharsis even in asking. Yes. It? He knew this cup. He mm. was the one who said in the great um, African-American spiritual, prepare me a body, I'll go down and die. Mm. And if you will, it's game day. Mm. You know, it's it's starting. It's it's in in the garden, and he's not standing up and say, "Bring it on!" like a Rambo figure. He is weeping. He is sweating blood of tears. He is crying out and say, "I want to do this. I want to save mm. mankind." But is there another way? Mm. If this cup could pass, and so in our blues in our life, um, it's okay to ask that. What's more important is that we follow him and say, big sigh, not my will, but thine mm. be done, mm. and go towards obedience. And so I love that Jesus shows us his transparency, his vulnerability, his blues. Mm. And so it's just rich, but most American um, understanding of jazz starts with the blues, but the blues started with the burden of this newfound freedom that the enslaved Africans had prayed and wished for and waited for patiently, and it came, and it was not the freedom that they yeah. had hoped for. And so if indeed the blues came out of this sense of this new, the burden of this new-found, quote-unquote, so, so freedom. So the spirituals were the, the spirituals, Spirituals you had out. to start with. Mm. You had to because that was the mm. cry. That mm. was the double-coded messages. Those were the lament. Those mm. were the freedom songs. Those were the fight songs. Yeah. There were, there were these, these songs that had so many layers. Musically, this, uh, th that's how the guitar, the banjo was made out of bones and string mm. and trees. Mm. And, and they couldn't take that drum. They couldn't take that rhythm from them. And so it starts with the spirituals. And when you think of the spirituals, yes, they greatly talk about biblical characters, yeah. but also they were just songs of everyday life. Mm. And I think we as Americans kind of shy away from that because we have to deal with the theology of the mm. spirituals as mm. much. There's the theology of the blues. My man's gone and he ain't coming back no more. You think, oh, long lost relationship. Inherently, there's this sense of loss of connection. Mm and alone and the blues of that why has God forsaken me why has my lover forsaken me ultimately it's really about the human relationship between God and man mm. and so yeah I love sharing the history of that because it's a it's a forgotten history and it's, and it's it talks it's a beautiful picture of redemption 
here in one of the darkest moments in American history came a beautiful music that has stood the test of time. Mm. You know, mm. Queen Victoria, who mourned her beloved Albert, heard the spirituals and said, they understand mm. my grief for Albert. Where everybody else was like, okay. Mm. You know, she said, they understand grief. They understand lament. They mm. understand loss when she heard the spirituals. So it's a universal it, I mean, that's a really important point because it strikes me that so much of our modern church music completely lacks lament. We don't, it, it's all the sun is shining. Yeah. We don't even go into the sort of shadows at all. Or not even the abstract shadows. Mm. You know, I was going to sing sometimes I feel like a motherless child and and we're going to say, well. In church. Yeah, it's, it's not really a Christian song. Um, you know. Because it doesn't, you know, have, you know, the five points or whatever, you know. And I just thought, you, mean you haven't got the... substitution in your time, right? Yeah. And I just thought, you know, a long way from home. Home, when you look at that spiritual, meant heaven and also meant a physical home of Africa. But it was long, and, and you look and say, gosh, you know, um, there are places, there are reasons why there are portions of the scripture of the Bible that aren't preached or as popular. Because they're dark, mm. and they go to the the lonely, dark places, mm. and and yet um, that's where we really find. And it's it's interesting to me because for me, maybe because it's from my culture, and I grew up with it, and I, I took it in with my mother's milk. But was she a singer? Um, they loved to sing. I wouldn't say a professional singer, but loved solid choir members. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom plays guitar. My dad's Grace baritone bass singer and drum. But they were children of the Depression, mm -hmm. so it was like we're putting a potato in the, mm -hmm. the, the... We can't even think about piano lessons. Yeah. But it's this kind of thing. You can't have Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday. And I think we really don't understand it. We can go through Lent, if you will. We can go through Good Friday into Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we don't really want, we still want to skip over in our lives the Good Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you see that in a lot of preaching. You see that in a lot of lifestyles. You see the fact that people don't really know what it is to take up a cross. Yeah. Um, it's a major thing. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel. Oh, 
Does jazz then flow out of that for you, or, you know, is it the continuation of exploring those sort of darker things? And for me, it's the balance of 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 the the valleys and the mountain tops. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways, there's no other kind of music where you can do those. And the same phrase, if you will, yeah. um, notes apart, if you will. It's it's um, you know, gospel's telling a story. I believe the chief job of a vocalist is to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I have many weaknesses in my singing. I do believe, and I'm grateful for this, for the Lord, and for my parents instilling this into me, um, is that I, I take very seriously singing a lyric and telling a story mm -hmm. and conveying that. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at it, thank goodness. Um, but it's grace and mercy alone, really. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I love singing gospel. I love telling a story. I love testifying, if you will, in, in a song and, and encouraging and, and affirming. But in the sense of pure music, quite a, apart from the, the lyric, mm -hmm. quite apart from the lyricists of what they wanted to share, there's nothing like jazz because you're creating all the time. Nice. Dynamics, yep. notes. And so for me, the attraction is, is that you can have this... Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday in moments mm. right next to each other mm -hmm. or um, later on on the second chorus or the B portion or later and you can create that even if the song is, is necessarily about going through the valley you can paint these pictures with inflections with notes, with choice of pitch with, with um, dynamics with staccato, legato mm. all these different things to create with total abandonment and total freedom that I feel, for me at least, it's not necessarily the same um, freedom in other styles of music. Yeah, I mean, my background is very sort of much classical, and mm -hmm. there, um, I mean, it strikes me that the key thing about jazz is that you, you are given a framework. Yeah. That, that keeps you safe, if you like. You mm -hmm. know where you're going, and you know that if you lose the plot slightly, it's okay, we're going to come back at some point. But within that framework, you can go anywhere. Yeah. And obviously with classical music, there's, you know, incredible range of interpretations and, and people do pour out themselves. But the framework is much tighter. Yeah. Um, so I guess you can be much greater in dialogue with other musicians while you're performing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a democratic mu music. I mean... You can't do jazz alone. Mm. I mean, I, I love uh, solo piano jazz so records. Jarrett. I mean, I do love that, but I mean, in the sense yeah. of what it is, it's, it's oh, I love what my bass player just played. Mm. My turn's coming up. I'm going to do that. I'm going to okay. do a harmonic line to that. 
And I love the feeling of jumping off a mountain without a parachute. That to me is what jazz, because you just <laughs> don't know if you're going to land. And the only way I was able to able to do that in different ways, maybe not so in obvious ways as maybe like Ella Fitzgerald did and, right. and other people did, but um, in my own way is is knowing the most important note isn't the wrong note. It's the note that comes after mm -hmm. it. So if you make quote unquote an error, it is it can be corrected mm. by the next note. And I mm. love that pressure of the next note. Mm. Ah, what happened? With breathing, with enunciation of doing different things, and so that excitement. And in this this safe but exciting and maybe not so safe place of, of experimenting mm. and creating on the spot is amazing. But you have this, this um, you're not doing it alone. You hear something on the piano. I say, "Ooh, that staccato note!" And when I, it's my turn, I, 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 I do it. Sometimes not even thinking. Think, "Ooh, that was wonderful." I mean, do you see this as a very theological, sort of almost as it's a discipleship thing in a way? Is is about living in community? Couldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many. Um, you know, I think of you know, just improvisational praise and worship of of the Psalms. I think of, you know, I, I get in trouble sometimes theologically by sure saying this but uh, you know Genesis 1-1 yeah. you know you want to talk about creating and, and beautiful improvisation of just creating in those days I mean it's amazing and I think the, the most amazing amazing improvisational solo was Calvary hmm. Mark we should have been up there hmm. and Jesus improvised. Didn't mean he was like, oh, I'm going to just do it. I mean, he knew mm -hmm. that he's going to do it, save me from the beginning of the time. But he improvised and said, I will die and mark and with you. And so I see so many, and I mean, revelation, I mean, you know. And in a way, yeah. the resurrection absolutely. is the great note after the wrong note, yeah. Though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. And then we wait till where it's just, you know, all notes, you know? Yeah. No right notes, no wrong notes. I mean, it's just going to be a, just... Overwhelming. Many beautiful notes all together, yeah. you know? Yeah. So jazz provides that for me. It's a deeply moving form of music for me culturally, spiritually, um, from a musical point of view, from a, you know, music theory point of view, from as a vocal... It's just where I'm the freest and, in a lot of ways, the most joyful. So do you find it difficult when you encounter jazz or, that, or, or music that has either lost or rejected those bearings, those moorings, if you like? Because um, I would imagine that a lot of people have, in this sort of world, have very little understanding, let alone affection for those deeply... Christian roots. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that difficult, or you just go with it and... Not so much now, I guess, you know, as, as you age, I don't really care anymore. So as you're getting more and more mature. <laughs> yes, that's a, a lovely very, way of putting you're it. very mature. <laughs> um, and I've been doing it a long time, you know, I've been doing it 20 years, so I'm like, okay, okay. You know, there's an old saying, don't woke them, let them slept. And so, you know, 
I think in my early days, I was very passionate about helping people to understand and sing and, mm. you know, kind of like this quote-unquote justice piece of jazz. And, right. and now I'm just like, you know, it's I leave it up to the Holy Spirit and, mm. and make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed You'll to do, do responsible. Mm. But, um, but I do care. I'm an educator of, of I mean, I educate. That's mm. It's just not entertaining or sharing. I mean, I, I'm very firm and very passionate about educating. But early on, I mean, I was really rejected, um, you know, early on um, by the Christian community here. I mean, they... Because jazz was dodgy or...? Um, you know, I think, in, I know in the African-American community, there, there was these tensions, and we could go all day on those. Yeah. Um, you know, just that, that sense of you have to choose one. You can't have Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Right. You know, you can't have Kathleen Battle and Jesse Norman. You know, you have to choose one. You can't have Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Mm. You can't take the truth from both. Mm. And, and you have to choose one. You know, choose you this day. So everything's sort of binary. So you can't have the juke joint and the church on the corner. Mm. So musicians that wanted to, uh, were, were born in church, were most most African-Americans came to learn music mm. for the most part, not all. But I mean, like all the Motown guys yeah, came from churches. Yeah, absolutely. They had to decide if they wanted to do music that was in some ways musically more adventurous or more, that was more in tune to their gifts. They had to decide the secular, sacred divide mm. and you couldn't have both. You're not going to play in the juke joint on Saturday night and show up Sunday mm. and play. And so you had to choose. And so there was this I would, I, I used to say it this way, you know, we, you know, it says, oh, the, you know, the devil has stolen this. I mean, we have put stuff in a wheelbarrow and ran it over to, quote unquote, the devil and say, here, 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 here. And we, we don't have a true understanding, I think, when it goes back to ultimately beauty. Hmm. And I think the, the real, the, 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 <laughs> the, the bottom line of it really is is we don't understand really um, the artistic gifts and as a um, gift of and the common beauty. grace. Yeah. And mm. so we put this this is anointed, mm. this is Christian, this is right, this mm. is this. Don't even start with the worship wars. Yeah. But you know, and so um, there were different things. So people wrote my father, Oh, we're praying for your your betrayal of yeah. your your Judas you daughter. You must be so worried. Yeah. <laughs> She's got a best hell open playing Satan's music. And yeah, I'm just like, gosh, do you know your history? Mm. And it's not. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. our music. And so, um, so um, you know, it just, it was, it's just yeah. powerful. And so, um, yeah, it just... Uh, it's hard. Yeah, it just was. But um, I'm grateful for it because I really had to... It made me more focused and more determined. And I knew that I knew that I knew. You know, they're saying, I know that I know that I know mm. that I know. It... You're beginning to sound like Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> 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 I may forgive you for that. <laughs> um, but um, it just made mm. me realize, like, this is what I really wanted to do. Mm. And, but I guess yeah. it forced you also... You could either have, have split it and just gone off, but what seems to have happened, certainly from talking, is that it's forced you to work out how to integrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great, because I think, I think that's absolutely crucial. Yeah, and I, I welcome that force. I didn't feel force. Right. I'm, you know, I'm my father's child, a radical, radical right. man, against the grain. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, an amazing thinker. Oh, well, I'm not saying I'm an amazing thinker, but I mean in a thing of pushing the envelope, seeing ahead. So you weren't afraid to because no, of that no, confidence? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I ran towards it, right. if you will. And the thing that I, I'm not an amazing thinker, I want to make sure that's clear. Um, no, 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 I, I think you're an amazing no. thinker. One of the finest Funny's minds. in this room. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, in the sense of my father really had us think, um, think through things, a thorough yeah. thinker. And yeah. so I knew, I didn't go in like shock. I okay. knew what was going on. Right. I knew in the early days would be baptism by fire, and I ran towards that. Because... If I meant it and I really wanted to do it, you know, by God's grace, I would survive and yeah. I would come out on the other side. And I thought it was a great test. Yeah. I was kind of like, bring it on. And you early. seem fairly normal now, so it well, seems to have worked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I love it. You know, and, and some people think it's that I only do Christian jazz or gospel centered jazz. I love a good lyric, yeah. I, I love singing good standard, yeah. but I love singing about Jesus. Yeah. There's nothing better. Yeah. for me mm. and so these two are married in this sense and i'm just also interested in you know jazz has become well it's everywhere in the world isn't it, it, it it's gone global yeah you know i I've, um, i love some south african jazz players amazing stuff yeah but you know i just think you know what, what, what knowing all the roots and the, the sort of black history of it and, and so on and you see a bunch of white guys in a smoky room in London playing jazz. I mean, what does yeah. that look like to you? Um, Is that quite weird? It's, uh, you know, uh, I'll put it like this. It saddens me, it grieves me to see the commercialization of jazz. Mm -hmm. And so to see it reach um, as far as it has, it makes me sad that there needs to that the players that have the most respect in the sense of not respect artistically, mm -hmm. but commercially are of a different hue, are not mm -hmm. culturally, always culturally aligned to the history. So, so it's easier to make a living if you're white? I wouldn't say easier, because I'm not white, I don't know. But no. um, I would say... I would think by the economics. There are advantages. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I would say, um, to me, if I go in a club in London and I see five white cats thing, I want to know if they can swing. Mm. I want to know if they can improvise. Mm. If they can do that, then fine. If they you got that groove. And for me, it comes back to that bass and drums. So it is, for me, I'm looking for that negroidal, historical, cultural element in the music. Mm. Um, does it always have to be there? No. Um, but I'm looking for that. You know, jazz and black music is based on bass and drum. Mm. And it, it, it hurts me in other genres, too. You look at R&B, most R&B singers can't sing. Mm. Um, there's not this sense of... Uh, you know, I'm talking about what, what the technology of mm -hmm. auto-tune and yeah. this. You, you hear them on a record, you go see them in concert, you're, what? You know. Mm -hmm. um, but also the sense of, of writing compositions where it's not a three-chord vamp. Mm -hmm. It's verse, chorus, mm -hmm. bridge. You know, um, it's just lost its way. And I think it's, you know, just the commercialization, yeah. the marketing, the driving force behind it. I don't necessarily blame well, it, the artists. It's, it's selling content. Right. It's not about 
creativity. It's we need right. content to fill our iPods. Right. So we've, we've as people have allowed ourselves to get away from, mm. from the core, which is rhythmic yeah. and which is bass and drums. So, um, you know, it's just not even jazz in that sense. Yeah. I just want to know if they can swing. I don't care if they're purple. Yeah. You know, and That'd are be, they giving a nod to the? Yeah. You know the okay. nature of the music, yeah. And, and and I would have thought that's important in any art form. You've yeah. got to know your your heritage and what you're building on. Yeah. Whether it's painting or drama right. or whatever. And there certainly are Caucasian jazz musicians who know the history, mm. that respect it, and even if they don't, it's not in their music. They know it and they respect it, and they give tribute to those that have come before. I would say the ones that I feel, um, you know, that saddens me and in some ways offends me are the ones who have selected amnesia. Yeah. The ones that came before. We just celebrated Duke Ellington's mm. birthday. Um, you know, 114th. And what he had to do in the beginning, his, even his, which he clearly states is the most treasured body of music, which was the sacred music, um, he had to go abroad to, to, to perform that. And so for this lack mm. of acknowledgement of mm. those, and even those, and he had a very successful career, but for those that didn't, when you look back and see those that struggle playing mm. for $20 a night and mm. brilliant, you know, mm. who are forgotten, and those that are celebrated now didn't live to see them mm. or had other issues, other struggles, and didn't live to their quote-unquote full potential or lifespan because of those issues, to have them forgotten and for you to get on the stage and and not not that you have to acknowledge them, but their sense of I can tell almost immediately from jazz musicians who have a sense of those that came before mm -hmm. you. I'm not talking about the elder spirit is among us yeah, and yeah, floating. Yeah. I'm talking about remembering those that came. It's before standing on shoulders of giants, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can almost tell those that don't know it or those that know it and don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to be married to it, stay there, do bebop for the rest of your life, stride piano. I'm just saying an understanding of it and you mm -hmm. then can create upon it and go and do your own thing with the sense of responsibility mm -hmm. of, of looking back and saying thank you and mm -hmm. knowing who, who they are. I mean, I just think that's a genuinely yeah. important principle, whatever you do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Hey.
let's talk about photos. Yeah. You do all kinds of different things, but you focus on black and white. Yeah. Now, what's going on there? Um, well, I've been accused of being hoity-toity and, you know... Well, I, forget about that. <laughs> um, I mean, there's something I, very pure about black yeah, and white. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's very simple. When I was going through school, um, the first thing when I look at a color photo photograph is I see the color, and then I see the subject matter. In black and white, the first thing I see is the subject matter. Mm. And so for me... There were color photographs that I absolutely loved because of the color. The composition might not have been that great. Um, the subject matter might not have been that inspiring or interesting, but the color was just fantastic. Mm. With black and white, without that color, you see all these ranges of grays and from the brightest whites to the darkest blacks. And I love that range. I love that. Does and so the forced? first thing I want to see is a person... <laughs> I want them to see the subject. I want mm -hmm. them to see the essence of the photograph. I mean, does it force the photographer to be much more conscious of composition? Do you mm, think? I'm, I don't know that because I... Because you could... I mean, it seems to me that you can really tell if the composition's off in a black and white photo more immediately than a colour, or is that my amateur view? I probably wouldn't phrase it that way. Okay. Um, I mean, I think if you have a good eye, you can see it, whether it's color sure. or black and white. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's that I absolutely wanted people to see the essence of mm. it. I wanted them to see what I was photographing. And for me, I wanted a response. So for me, I didn't want a response to colors. Mm. Although I, I collect color photography. Some of my favorite photographers are... are color photographers but um but for me i wanted i love that range mm. to me that really was able to help me authentically express myself in an image with these range of grays and whites and blacks than color and if the jazz thing is you doing things with other people and being in community is the photo photography is when you're going off on your own and you need space and time to reflect and stuff is do you do that through a lens almost yeah i i would say if my photography is much more transparent than my music okay. if you want to know who i am or get a sense of who i am my photography reveals that do you find that scary I did not run as fast towards it as I did with, with the music. I knew it, and um, I just had to birth it, so I wasn't running towards it in the sense of, of like I did with music. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's always that tension of wanting to be known and not wanting to be known. And I think it has to, you know, do around acceptance, but um, because to be known then what's the next step? To be loved or not to be loved? Mm. To be accepted, not to be accepted. Yeah. Um, for me, it's something I had to birth. It wasn't really a choice. It didn't feel like force, but I just felt like I will not really be free until I birth this. Mm. And so, um, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people say because I do black and white and I don't do a lot of quote-unquote happy or joyful images 
that they're surprised I'm so animated and so happy and bright and jumpy. Are you photographing the blues? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's subtle joy. I'm, I, I like to think I'm photographing peace and contentment and stillness. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I mean, definitely, definitely some images are blues, but I think overall some of them are window into reflection, stillness, listening, waiting, um, contentment, um, some some defeat, some waiting, but it's it's that moment of just really reflection and thinking and 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 stillness and what do we do? I think some people don't know what to do with stillness. Mm. It's one of the things that when I'm teaching my my jazz vocal students is where's the silence? Where's the space? Mm. I, I want space that's equally as important as all the notes you're singing. Mm. Where's the space? You need to Where's the sigh? And that's probably more important than ever in the city, isn't it? I mean, th there's no silence in the city. Yeah. And, you, you know, everywhere you go, there's sort of background music or there's the sound of traffic or sirens. Yeah. yeah. And usually there's just, I do, you know, in, the, in the, um, my body of work that I exhibit, it's usually just one person, one human being. They're not terribly animated. It's portraiture. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's a, a glimpse into mm. that sigh. Do you want a joy this world can give? Do you want a peace your spirit can fill? When you are a burden crying out for help, when your days are filled with fear and doubt, there is a spirit can fill when you are burdened crying out for help when your days are filled with fear and doubt there is a love that will endure forever Committed to the city, yes. As a matter of principle, yes. but also because you grew up in it, yeah. And I think there's, you know, one's hearing now quite a bit about people saying we've got to be committed to the city as yeah. churches and particularly yeah. the inner city. Um, but you've had your whole life doing that. Why is it taking everybody so long to get onto this track? Have we, been a, have we been scared of the city? I think so. I think we've been scared of what's in the city. And I think we can still be in the city, but not of it. Mm -hmm. um, are we really, really part of the city? I know the thing that I'm always... Do you mean by that being a good citizen? Yeah, and a good Christian. Yes. Yeah. Particularly with those that are like, I'm coming into the city to help redeem it. I'm coming in. My number one question for churches that are planted or community or Christian ministries or whatever is, have you sat at the feet of the culture hmm. that you're willing to serve in the community? And have you learned from them? I'm not hmm. interested in have you taught? Sure. Have you done the verbiage? Have you done all that? I'm not interested in, 
and that I want to know have you sat and served in silence and seen and where learned. they get things right yeah and learn from them mm. and then of course is there a balance of power sure. and I think um, at the heart of that I think we're still not willing to give up the power. We're willing to come in to be part of quote-unquote redemption story yeah. and redeeming the times and the, and the geographic locations. We're not really interested in giving up power, whether it's economic power or spiritual power. or So, so I don't think there's a real sense of, of partnership, of real reconciliation, and of really pure, purely loving your neighbor and your enemy mm. in the city. I think it looks good. It feels good. It's scary. I'm not saying it's easy. No. And I do feel that they're called, but I don't necessarily always feel like the hard work of the guttural work mm -hmm. is done. What What does facing up to the power imbalance actually mean when you're a small group of people, maybe, I don't know, 20 people, planting a new congregation? What What, what does the... Um, I mean, in, interested because we're doing beginning to do yeah. planting from our church. What does that rectifying the imbalances of power look like? I think it means going into that neighborhood and not planning a church. It means going in and being part of the community. S starting with that. Yep. Mm. And so, um, a wonderful example of a, a wonderful pastor um, from St. Presbyterian Church who planted church in South Philly. He moved there and he just lived. Mm. He just lived with them, mm. ate with them, cried with them, fought with them, um, rejoiced with them. You know, there was a family. He, he didn't say, I'm Reverend this. He just said, hey, I'm Jonathan Olson. And so people would come and say, my son was shot last week. We, we can't pay a preacher. We don't have any place. Will you come? I will come and, and do the do the service. I will come here. You're hungry. Come sit at our table. It wasn't like we're having Bible study, closed mm. Bible study every Tuesday night. He was just there. So in for a sense, three, you could years. say, rather than bringing a church, he was being the yeah. church. Yeah. Without verbiage yeah. of we're going to plan a church, we're going to do this. He was just in the neighborhood, mm. and there's. It is beautiful to witness mm. because there's trust. Mm. And guess what? The people, the same community he was in in three years, said to him, why don't you plant a church? Hmm. Wow. Now, he felt called. He knew that without a shadow of a doubt. But he waited, he prayed, he fasted, he had accountability, and he said, I'm just going to love my neighbor and love my neighbor who, who views me as an enemy. Wow. And I'm just going to keep showing up, and I'm going to keep doing this and serving and when there's a robbery, I'm going to experience it. When this happens, and the community said, you need a church. You need to start a church. And so that's what I'm saying. Yes. So when you go into anywhere, there's, there's these people who trust him that aren't necessarily there for handouts because they know this is this, this one of them. Yeah, he just lives here. And that's interesting because you have sites a long way away as well as yeah. local, don't you? Um, yeah. And we were talking earlier about East Africa and yeah. I don't know, who knows what the future holds, but what is it about Kenya and your husband and you and seeing a sense of purpose there? 
for me, I am, um, I love, I'm a student of history. Yeah. I love history. And I think, uh, not to cry the blues or sing the blues, <laughs> well, that's okay but in, in my own denomination, um, I have not been truly always seen and viewed for who God created me as, as a human being, as an African-American woman. And so I've heard things like, I, when I see you, Ruth, I don't see your color. I'm like, wow, you don't see, you're missing out on one aspect of God's artistic design. Um, what's more important is to see me and see me as African-American and accept me, not to kind of wash away my, my race or my culture. And so I've a, I love history. I, you know, it was my fantasy to become a history professor. And, mm. um, but I certainly love African-American history because I've needed it mm. to know who I am in America, even in 2013, but certainly years before and certainly doing this type of music to have that sense of responsibility, but also a sense of confidence and a sense mm. of, 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 of knowing what so happened not before rootless. me. Right. And so um, my great-great-grandmother lived to 109 years old. Wow. So we know a little bit more. We knew that her mother was a slave and was the woman who was the mule, who pulled the plow. That was her job every morning from 4 a.m. to about 4. Where? In, in, in Virginia. In Virginia. And she pulled the plow. She was the mule. And by the time she was 28, she had a, uh, her spine was in the shape of an S. Oh. And all that my great-great-grandmother, who lived to be 109, remember is her singing, One Day My Children's Children. And I remember saying, great-great-grandmother Hadley, why didn't, why didn't your mother ever finish the song? And she just said, how could she? And I vengeed myself, which I, of course, there's no way, but how could she? Mm. How could she? It's like Psalm 137. How yeah. can we sing the songs of Zion? Yeah. And how can you sing, sing a song in a strange land? Yeah. How could she finish that? She had no idea what freedom would look like, yeah. even though she prayed. She just and said had one she day... been... Um, was she born here? Or was yeah. She? Yeah. Okay. So she just knew nothing but slavery. Yeah. And she just said, one day my children's children. Well, her dream came true. And so... Um, and her prayers came through, and her song, you know, bore fruit. Do you sing that? So, um, yeah, not often. Mm. It's, it's, it's the hardest yeah. one for me to sing. But I don't know where my, I know we came from Africa. And so when the first time I went to Africa, it was like, oh, I'm going home. Mm. When I land, I'll kiss the ground. There'll be this like overwhelming, <laughs> yeah, of this overwhelming. And I came out, and I came out of the airport. And, you know, I saw a humongous, you know, sign of a rapper. I was like, really? Like, <laughs> really? You know, and um, it just jarred me back into yes. reality. And, um, but yet then when I went to Kenya, I went primarily to work with my husband, um, who is African-American, but has the beautiful, stunning name of Kenyatta. Um, and I went to do HIV AIDS work, which I've done for over 20 years. Mm. So it was like, I'm going home, but culturally, but my, my mission was to go and work with the um, AIDS doctor, HIV doctor there, mm. work with the children, HIV positive mm. children, and particularly the women, and help them to walk that fine line of 
of um, protecting themselves as much as they can yeah. from from this virus. Mm -hmm. So that's been amazing. My husband is involved in work with connecting African Americans with Africans. So he's, mm -hmm. he works with um, African-based missions that links up with African Americans and helping them to dispel some myths and truths and just some paradigms, bad, bad, bad paradigms done in, in the early 60s and 70s missionaries. I love what you said early. Some of the very best, you know, American missionaries, I mean, best missionaries were American missionaries and some of them the worst. Mm. That was my experience. Yeah, and that mine too. Mm. So helping um, African Americans, re-educating them, pointing them in different direction, helping them see things differently mm. than kind of the the old paradigm of of European or Caucasian um, mm. missionaries coming and giving the, the quote unquote natives of the land mm. to choose between your culture or Jesus. Mm. You can't have both, mm. and they can. And mm. so helping them to realize, because as a community, we didn't want to be a part of that for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, but now saying that paradigm has changed, it's mm. shifted, and there's a more healthier. Mm. Um, you know, organic paradigm, and, and let's get in and, and work together. Mm -hmm. So it's a special place. It really does feel like home, although, you know, I love I Paris. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it really, at that the I'm core right. of who I am, it there's, is home. There's something about the red earth, isn't there? Yeah, just, yeah. Oh. and the greens. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen the, those color greens. My gosh. Mm. Oh, and then you photograph them in black and white. <laughs> I do. Actually, I do. I photograph the people, but it's interesting you bring up a thing. It's just so powerful, so colorful. It's just, yeah, I do. I don't just show my landscape, so that's all in color. Okay, all right. Well, I won't yeah. tell anyone. Yeah. Oh, man, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I mean, we've, we've had a great conversation. It's been such fun. Let's try and draw a few yes. threads together, because... How do you wake up in the morning and decide what to do? I mean, are you going to go and take a photograph? Are you going to go and help? Oh. I mean, you teach, you, um, you travel to Europe to sing, and you, I mean, it's... As I... How do you cope? How do you integrate it all? As I mature, <laughs> get yes. older, I look forward to I mean, that I day. notice your maturity. <laughs> I look forward to that day where actually I, I can wake up and say, what am I going to do? Um... What I do musically is very narrow, and it's very hard to make a living off of it. Right. Photographically, what I do is very narrow, and it's very hard to make a... My type of photography is not in right now, so it's hard to get the attention. Mm. Um, thank God for a great gal uh, gallery representative, um, Whitestone Gallery, who gets it. Um, Gets Here me, not gets it, but gets it. Yeah, I'm proud to say I'm their only Philadelphia artist. They're international, all their right. artists are international. Okay. And they were just, yeah, it was, yeah, it's it's the thing that, one of the things I'm most honored by That's that great. they would take one of their homegirls. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure they had reservations like she's from Philly. Uh oh. No, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's very hard to. Um, make a living because it's just so narrow. Mm. Um, so I love teaching. I teach K through uh, 12, two, three days a week. I teach university one day a week, and then the other days are spent on music mm. and photography and HIV work. And in the past five years, um, I definitely have been involved in a transgender mm -hmm. excuse me, um, community. I thank goodness for the um, just advancement of of the medical 
um, field in the area of HIV and AIDS, and so it's still there's still need for education and for testing mm -hmm. and all that. Mm -hmm. But I'm radical in nature. I work in well. I work well in radical situations. I don't know if I'm radical. I don't think that's for me to say. But sort I of front say, line stuff. Yeah, I like that. Doesn't scare me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I got in five years after the HIV crisis began, and that certainly was the front lines. Mm -hmm. Now it's become more of a um, kind of social work um, situation. So I feel like God has really opened up this whole another community mm -hmm. for me. And Mark, it's really it's really the issues where. You know, I think Christians are really going to have to deal with, mm. and um, that's the transgender community. I hope that we can have a better response mm. and more balanced and loving and truthful mm. um, response than we had for the AIDS crisis. Mm. Um, but this is a community that is organized, um, highly intelligent, highly intellectual, highly financed, and so it'll be interesting to see. Our, our response, not been overjoyed at the response thus far, but um, that's a community where. So if you say, what would I love to do? I love that picture you painted for me of waking up and saying, you know, what will I do? I think more and more I'll do more work in, in Kenya and I would love to do, spend more time with my music and photography. Mm. But my, my parents loved the arts and sacrificed greatly for their three girls to learn instruments and learn music and one of the things they said it comes with the responsibility mm -hmm. so for me they said Ruth when you're not composing when you're not taking pictures when you're not singing what are you doing for the community mm -hmm. what are you doing for the kingdom of God and that doesn't mean that artistically that I'm not contributing and that's not important or not enough mm -hmm. but for them they said what are you doing when you're not behind mm -hmm. a microphone behind a camera what are you doing to to love your neighbor to love your enemy to reflect Christ and his glory other than artistic form in the day-to-day -day, um, lives. And so for me, it goes hand mm. in hand. It fuels each other. Mm. My quote-unquote mission work or ministry work um, influence and feeds my art. Mm music and photography in the same way. So it's this kind of flow back and forth. Well, I love that because I think, I think culturally on both sides of the Atlantic, Maybe for 200 years, we've got ourselves in such a sort of mess by being schismatic about so many things and dividing sacred, secular, and even dividing calling. I mean, it's about living life yeah. and, and wherever that leads. And I just think it's very exciting to be freed to just go wherever it goes yeah. without actually losing the plot right. somehow. Um, and it's good to miss it. I mean, so far this year, I have not... It's May. I have not been able to do a lot with um, my transgender community. I miss doing that work. Um, the, uh, two years ago, I was not doing a lot with photography. Mm. I missed that. There was this hungering. Mm. So it, it helps keep me grateful, too, mm. in the sense of when I'm not able to do it, I'm not upset. I'm not ungrateful. I'm not, mm. I don't get angry. I just say, Wow, I can't wait to get back to it. I miss this. I'm hungry for it. Um, but whether I'm actually creating music or actually creating photograph, I'm always listening. I'm always learning. I think it's important sometimes not to be doing that. Mm. I mean, someone said to me a while ago, what a burden. Like, they looked at my Facebook page and said, I don't think there's a post you do without an image. 
that has to be a burden to keep that up. And I thought, no, if I don't have a camera in my mm. hand, I'm still always looking at light and shadow. And mm. it's not a burden. It's not cumbersome. It mm. doesn't fry my brain. It's um, it's a beautiful, it's like a, a, a drink of of water when I'm thirsty. And if I'm not singing or not composing, I hear things. And sometimes in some ways that's more important for, depending on what I am in the season. I'm a wife and a mother too. Mm. I can't be holed up in my art room. I have to, mm. and I love to, and I have a great family that supports me and allows me to fly. It's a fantastic gift. And I take that with great responsibility and it's a, it's a humbling gift. I'm not worthy and they, they give it to me and never ever put me in a position where I've had to decide. Mm. And that is, Fantastic. that's a great gift mm. to give to artists. I, I don't know many of my artistic friends that have that. They have never, ever put me in a position where I've had to decide. Mm. Fantastic. And, and so, um, but that means like this past weekend, I, I was hungry. There's a song that I, I want to write, but I thought what's more important is sitting and hanging out at the Penn Rayleigh's and seeing my daughter and not them, but there I'm, 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 I'm a sports addict to <laughs> know that by my face page. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think sometimes it's not always in actively creating, but mm. listening and being still and, mm. and, you know, hearing things and maybe not even acting upon it in the sense of creation. So. Um, quick questions. Jazz hero. Oh, you, yeah, and you're only allowed one. Oh my gosh. Okay, one man, one woman. Oh man. Oh, that's hard. Okay, today. Not of all time. Because I know what I, my favorites change every day, but who's your favorite today? And I will you... say who I listen to the most. Okay. That's and who deeply touches me compositionally and playing um, in what he chooses not to play, almost as important to what mm -hmm. he chooses to play is Brantford Marsalis. Oh, yeah. Wow, his, his concerts he does are, everything. are just food for me. Yeah. It's just food for me. Um, so, yeah. Okay. I love him. I love his composition. I love his playing. And That's very much allowed. Yeah. Okay. Photographer. Some of those Magnum guys? Or... Living or not? not no, doesn't uh, whoever. Um, uh, let me see. Hmm. Gordon Parks, um, because of his diversity uh, in photography, I would not call myself um, someone who had a, a gift of diversity. I mean, like the things I post are. Flowers, trees, still mm -hmm. lives, everything. I think I'm solid like at that level. Mm -hmm. But in the sense that he was excellent in fashion photography, excellent in photojournalism, mm -hmm. excellent in um, portraiture, excellent, in, and that's it's just extraordinary. And at a time where he, he was fighting a lot of other things to be so viewed fully, um, we just celebrated his hundredth anniversary okay. last year. So. Uh, he died. Relatively recently yeah. then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, just amazing, mm -hmm. amazing um, dignity and grace as a, uh, as a human being. And um, yeah, just his, how he's able to do all these different types of photography and styles of photography, different areas of photography and do them well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then final one, you, you say you love history. If there was one place 
and time to be find yourself? Where would you, where would you love to have been a fly on the wall? There's a couple. Um, I would love to be a fly on the wall and fully experience and view uh, the journey from birth to death, from birth to assassination of both Martin Luther King and mm. Malcolm X at mm. the same time. Mm. And to view truths through both their lenses. Mm. There are definitely some things they had in common, obviously some things sure. they didn't. Um, Is this because there's been so much stuff laid on top of them since? Yeah. In terms of hagiography and... Right. How to respond, what is truth, what is justice. Um, mm. It's interesting that they... I will say this. At the time of their assassination, they were killed for the same reason. Mm. I think people don't allow Malcolm to fully... Don't acknowledge his growth. I think one of the hardest things for a human being to do is to transform. Publicly as well. Yeah. And our public figures, thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. Most of our leaders don't. Even if they have, mm. privately, they, they can't mm. move. It's too costly mm. for, on, on several different levels. And the thing that I deeply, deeply respect about Malcolm is that once he embraced what he thought was truth, he was not afraid to transform. Mm. And he had many metamorphoses. Mm. But his last one, which wasn't of hate, was of moving more towards love, definitely, and understanding. Um, uh, it, it was love in the other metamorphoses, but at the surface, you, mm. you wouldn't necessarily see it. Um, I think that's extraordinary and amazing and takes enormous strength. Um, and Martin and Malcolm, at the time of their assassination when their life were snatched away from them, they were moving towards points that were very different. And I think most people don't like to really acknowledge that and to really um, talk about it. So I would love to have been a fly on the wall and to view mm. Martin Luther King's journey from birth to death and mm. the same for Malcolm. Mm. I think it would be absolutely mm. intriguing and amazing. Yeah, wow. both are needed. Mm. And I think Martin Luther King is celebrated for obvious reasons, but... He's think, easier. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. Certain's for the Christians. That's true. Yeah. Mm. And uh, no other leader told us as a people he loved us as much as Malcolm. Mm. I mean, because there are Luther King streets everywhere. Are there Malcolm X streets? A couple, like in Harlem and right. some other places. Because there's one in Kampala. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. There's a total difference of um, legacy, in a way, yeah. perceptionally. I remember talking to my parents, my father in particular, and saying, why is this? And he said, you know, and he had all the kind of same answers that I think men of his generation had. And it was a lack of understanding and a lack of a full view of Malcolm. And um, I went back on microfiche and looked at the newspapers. And it's that same thing. You have to have one. When it came down, I mean, the newspapers and everybody would establish another against both. But mm. if you had to choose one, yeah. they will put it up, yeah. good Negro, bad Negro. Yeah. And so you had to choose. Yeah. 
And so for me, it's like, I want both. Yeah. Both had really important things to say. Um, you know, and, and so, they both expose real grievances. Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, decolonization, there's no other African American leader that's decolonizing the mind of African Americans than Malcolm. Hmm. He decolonized, he broke that systematic. It went beyond justice, if you will. It went back to mentally. Decolonization, there's no other word. Like Steve Biko in South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Lumumba. And mm. yeah, you know, just this decolonization, you know, of the mind. Um, Martin did that too in a very different way, but he really, really, you know, yeah, yeah. So. Great. Well, it's been such a blast. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. And, um, yeah, see you soon. Yes. <laughs> if you want to find out more about Ruth's music or photography, there are links on my blog, markmanel.wordpress.com. And once there, go to the Q Media section and just follow the links. But for now, thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>